Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to Radio Islam Medical Files, brought to you by the Islamic Medical Association. I'm Dr. Faisal Salman from the uh, IMASA, and it's my pleasure this evening to welcome Professor Hafiza Chinia. Professor Chinia is an uh, associate professor, uh, professor in the field of microbiology in the life sciences department at the University of Basel uh, Natal. And this evening we are talking waterborne diseases. Assalamu alaikum and welcome, Professor Chinia. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah for having me on your show. Jazakallah for joining us this evening. Before we talk all about um, the waterborne diseases, and I must just tell the listeners that your speciality is bugs, more importantly for people like myself, antimicrobial resistance and antimicrobial judicious use of, of antibiotics and antibiotic stewardship. So perhaps a topic for another day because there's often a lot of pressure uh, yes, from patients to use antibiotics. But another, and of course that comes with its own problems. But uh, a quick reminder, please, to everybody, um, the Islamic Medical Association of, uh, of South Africa has a health sciences bursary fund. We started it at the beginning of 2022. Alhamdulillah, we've managed to help quite a few students this year with bursaries. So applications are open for people who are doing a recognized study uh, field of study in health sciences by the HPCSA for applications for bursaries. And at the same time, to our listeners and our donors, I think you know the cost of education. So we do accept Zaka and Lilla contributions towards the bursary funds on both ends. We want your money, but we also want people who, who need the bursaries to apply uh, for, for that, inshallah. And our aim is, of course, to help. Professor Chenya, very topical at the moment, especially for people in KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, post, uh, we had looting, lots of infrastructure damage during the looting. And then, of course, the, the flood and combined with uh, political malfeasance leading to... Um, poor management, poor infrastructure development and maintenance of, of various uh, uh, plants, pumps, etc., leading to, in some cases, some really problematic uh, areas. But, of course, it's also holiday season. People, people out there in, uh, will be going to the Val Dam in Gauteng, going fishing, uh, swimming sometimes in rivers, uh, and, of course, uh, in pools, etc., uh, and, and this does bring on topically the, the subject of waterborne diseases. So um, let's start maybe with a simple uh, definition. What is a waterborne disease? Um, so waterborne diseases are basically infections that occur because people come in contact with water that is contaminated with fecal matter. And the fecal matter usually would have bacteria or protozoa or viruses which could end up being problematic for the person who has either ingested the water or has used the water for washing or bathing or the water has been used for food preparation in some way. All right. Let's maybe clarify or get out of the way anything other than ingestion. So whether you swallow the water directly or, as you said, you've used it to prepare food, that would be the ingested route of fetal oral contamination, as we would say. But the other forms of transmission, how else other than that would coming into contact with uh, fecal contaminated water then um, cause you to, to, to have uh, a disease? Okay. So um, I think 
because it's the holiday season, recreational water infections are a huge problem. Um, and this is where people are swimming in water or they're in hot tubs or spas or whirlpools or jacuzzis and there's poor hygiene practices in those. Um, you're going to be able to pick up skin infections. There might be ear infections. Um, people who go fishing, for example, um, if they are cleaning fish um, and they get cut with the scales or they get a hook into their skin, um, it opens up a wound. And if they're in water that is that has fecal contamination, then that wound can actually be infected. And so that is another way um, of, you know, recreational sort of um, acquisition of infections. So people on jet skis or who are doing water sports, if they get lacerations, you know, because of some of the injuries in the water, then they can pick up infections as well. How will the public, of course, a lot of attention at the moment because of, of uh, the holidays and being such a popular area, Devon beaches, etc. And we'll come to that a bit later. But someone going to the Val Dam, for example, going to a very popular spa, Sun City, or one of these very popular resorts where there's, of course, hundreds of people. How would they know? Um, in Durban at the moment, yes, it's public knowledge. E. coli levels are being measured and put on the internet and on the WhatsApp groups, etc. But, or oh, let's example the, the Val Dam, a very another popular area for people, uh, you know, listening on from Radio Islam in the Gauteng area and places like that, um, fishing, swimming. How would uh, someone, a layperson, find out whether there is a problem, for example, in the Val Dam? Is there a website someone can go look at or somewhere you phone? Um, no, there, there usually isn't that kind of information. Um, the water sanitation companies generally circulate within their own um, systems, you know, the counts, and they will have certain people, certain researchers on their, on their mailing list who would get information on this. But it's not generally made known to the public unless there is a closure because counts are extremely high. So it's very difficult for the public to get that knowledge. Typically, the public would go to a dam or river and they would see uh, murkiness. They would see or get a chemical smell or would see feces. Um, and that's probably the only way that they would come to know unless the authorities, you know, um, publicize that there is, you know, an issue and close either the, the dams or the rivers that are usually used by the public. All right. In terms of maybe specifically, uh, as we've mentioned, ingestion is, is probably one of the, 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 the more common forms of, of uh, getting infected. But clearly, prevention, prevention, prevention is, 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 is the key. But other than that, and being, being, being the holiday season and, and sort of climate we have, uh, water is a popular uh, recreational uh, Avenue. What can someone do uh, other than prevention? If if you're there already in the water, and suddenly you notice, that, you know, all of the things you've mentioned uh, in the immediate. A mother has a seven-year-old child, and children out there comes out of the water, and then someone says, "Oh, look there! There's whatever feces, as you say, murkiness, something that makes you so." In the immediate uh, sense, is there anything a parent should be doing? 
Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Sorry for that interruption. I think given load shedding and all of the issues, we may expect now and then calls to drop. Professor Chinya, are you back with us? Uh, yes, I am. All right. So I'm not sure how much of what I was saying was to myself just now and where the line dropped. But no, I heard you. <laughs> I okay. You. So, so, um, so, mum child, children's been in water for the past half an hour in the dam, wherever. Comes out, someone 50 meters away notices all of this muck. What does mum do in the immediate instance? Um, so I think the first thing is obviously a good shower. Um, with soap, brisk washing, so that whatever is on the, the skin can get removed. Um, the ears are usually very prone to infection, especially in young children. So to make sure that they tilt their heads, make sure that all of the water that is in the ear canal um, gets removed um, so that it doesn't allow the microorganisms to flourish there and start an ear infection. Um, but that's you know, making sure that your children don't have any wounds when they go into water, whether it's dams or even swimming pools, that's very important, both for children and adults as well. If you have open wounds, if you've had surgery and you have sutures, do not go into pools or any bodies of water because even if there isn't a high load, the potential for infection is, is very great in those instances. Um, but in terms of swimming pools and prevention of um, contamination uh, mothers really need to be very careful as well um, because we're all shedding um, microorganisms all the time into any body of water that we enter so when mothers are changing their their kids nappies they need to do so away from the pool so that there's less chance of fecal matter entering into the pool making sure that you wash your kid very well um, when they've gone to the toilet so that when they go back into the water, that they're not taking any fecal matter in with them as well. So there are things that we can do to prevent recreational water infections in terms of pools and jacuzzis and those kind of things. When it comes to dams and rivers and stuff like that, um, you know, it, it's very difficult to control uh, what is entering into that water. All right, so... You, as you said, uh, prevention, common sense, good hygiene, um, and now we've got mum, wherever it is, now found out water may be contaminated, as you said. Is there any need to panic? Do we need to go out and buy bottles of antiseptic liquid and scrub everyone down? Or as you mentioned, a good shower, maybe cleaning out the ears very well, um, perhaps gargling the mouth, rinsing the nostrils as one would do during wudu. Um, yes. Would that be enough as a basis and no need to panic then? Yeah, look, um, uh, we are very, if those of us who work in the antimicrobial resistance field, we're very anti-using antiseptic soaps and all these detergents that promise to have antimicrobial compounds. They really lead to more problems. So just a normal good wash with normal soap, which has no antibacterials, usually does the trick. Although slightly off the topic, you know, given the amount of advertising clearly after COVID, the use of hand sanitizers and liquid-based um, chlorhexidine and other formulations and alcohol, maybe just worth touching on what you've mentioned. Um, and, and, and just as a general, I mean, you see these adverts on TV all the time, go and buy this liquid and wash your whole your, your, your dining room table and your, you know, everywhere, the whole house. But all of these things, 
um, and you mentioned, you know, that that you perhaps, if you don't mind, just elaborating for five minutes on 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 that because it's, there's so much pressure on parents to buy all of these of these antiseptics, mm-hmm. particularly with children. Yeah, no, I, I I completely understand the pressure because you see it on social media all the time. Um, but I would advise parents to stay away from those. Uh, I mean, the hand sanitizers is fine. You know, it's alcohol-based. It's very quick. It's just a surface removal. Um, then, you know, you're not dousing your whole body with it, so it's not usually a problem. But where you have things like chlorhexidine and where they're actually putting antimicrobial compounds into soaps and detergents and, you know, deodorants and all the different things, that is hugely problematic because... What it does is that it puts the pressure on the microorganisms and specifically bacteria. Um, and so they are fighting back against these, you know, these controlled substances that we are using against them. Um, you know, and they can be different classes of chemicals that we use. And I know people are scared of the word evolve, but essentially what happens is that when bacteria are faced with a stress, which is a chemical, they start changing. Um, and of course, this is, you know, uh, a, a characteristic that they have been given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they can, you know, change and adapt and become stronger and more resistant. Um, so we actually perpetuate the problem by actually using all these chemicals against them because we're very afraid of bacteria or, um, you know, other microorganisms. And so this is really problematic. It's driving this development of superbugs. And it's making antibiotics less effective to a point where I think we're down to the last antibiotic that is really working very effectively. Um, so I would suggest that people don't panic. Um, don't use those. You know, the normal soaps, it's about the vigorous washing, the physical removal of microorganisms. Your skin is your innate defense against microorganisms. So if you keep that healthy, um, you should be protected from most of your organisms that come in contact with you via skin contact. Um, as we make our, our way towards the age that he has, um, uh, perhaps maybe, you, you know, you mentioned ears. What about the eyes? Young, young, young man has been swimming underwater uh, wherever he is. So when they come out, what about the eyes? Do they need rinsing or will nature take care of that on its own? Um, yes, you do need rinsing, um, but of course you can't protect the eyes. You know, some people would use goggles, but that doesn't really uh, change the situation for most of the people who don't use it. I think if you know that an area is contaminated, then you should avoid that until you have an indication that the area is clear and can be used for bathing purposes. Um, but typically the eyes will get contaminated. You usually get protozoal types of infections. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting in contact by swimming leads to, I mean, bathers generally have a much higher percentage of infection compared to non-bathers. This is something that um, is established worldwide. Um, most of these infections are acute. So they will resolve within a short period of time. They might have, I mean, in the case of diarrhea and stuff like that, vomiting, fever, um, they can be uncomfortable. They might last for a few days, but eventually you will resolve without necessarily having to take antibiotics. 
if you're immunocompromised, um, if you have underlying infections, then you tend to have far more severe effects as a result of these waterborne infections and might require hospitalization. Um, so you need to know about your own health before you go into any type of um, water situation. In terms of the of the swimming pool, and then inshallah, after Azan, we will really tackle on what we really need to speak about, and of course that is uh, those that are ingested and then infections that come from that. But uh, in terms, you know, we spoke about a pool earlier on. Your normal chlorine pool acid that people that you would use to to maintain both the the, the pH and and the integrity of the water is that is there you know. Is there any logic in saying if you know you're going to be swimming on the weekend a day or two before, you know, up the levels of either pool acid or, or, or chlorine so that you sort of give it a booster and, you know, uh, kill any, any bacteria, et cetera, by changing the pH? Yes, definitely. Um, good um, pool hygiene is very important and using chlorine is, you know, the best method in terms of ensuring um, healthy pool water. Um, of course, um, you also get, because of the normal UV radiation of the sun, you're going to get killing of microorganisms that are in the water um, closer to the surface, so that helps as well. Um, but if it's your own private pool, then ensuring that you are using good personal hygiene as well becomes very important. Um, because like I said, we all shed into the water. And so um, after you finish swimming, it would be good as well to make sure that you just you know, stock up again on the chlorine that's put into the water and until the next time that you use, you use it. All right. Um, perhaps we can, I think we've got probably about two minutes uh, before um, the azan. Uh, now we talk about the bugs that will, whether it's protozoa, whether it's bacteria, that you will inadvertently ingest uh, when in contaminated water. What are the common uh, diseases that uh, people generally pick up? Okay, so you typically would get diarrhea, but in terms of diseases, cholera, typhoid fever, um, in terms of protozoal infections, it would be things like amoebic dysentery. Um, you could get cryptosporidiosis. Um, you can also get a lot of enteroviruses. So there are a number of viruses, Norwalk virus, norovirus, um, you know, there's, there's a wide range. Again, it will depend on your personal health and how susceptible you are to different kinds of infections. But probably typhoid, um, E. coli 01757, um, yeah, you know, they, there's a range of them. It just depends on what is in that specific water that you might have been exposed to. All right. As we did with the mum who saw the little baby, and as you mentioned, vigorous washing, cleaning out the ears, um, nothing really as a preventative or first reaction. What about now you've, you've, you've seen baby come out or young man come out, young lady come out of the water, and you know, you've seen baby swallow, or, uh, swallow some water, and now you found out that it's contaminated. Is there a need to do anything at that moment, or do you wait for symptoms to come up? There's, there's nothing that you can actually do. You would have to wait. Uh, within a day or two, you should, if the person... So it would depend also on how much of pathogen load, so how many of these nasty bacteria or 
protozoa are actually in the water. Um, if it's a small amount of water that they've ingested, it might not be at a high enough concentration to actually cause um, the person to get sick. Um, so there are a variety of things that need that come into play. Who is in that water in terms of the bacteria, the protozoa, the viruses? How many of them were actually there? How much of water was actually ingested? All of those would determine whether or not a person actually got sick. Um, so we talk about infectious dose. Um, so it depends on you know how many of these organisms got inside the body and was it high enough to actually start an infection? Because generally with bacteria and many of the protozoa, you need a high number of them to be inside the body before they can actually start the infection. E. coli 15787 is a bit different though. All right. Is there any, and then and, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll go for a short run break. Is there any, you know, you mentioned your immunity, how, how your higher hydro, the level of your, the type of foods you eat, how healthy you are. Is there any, just like, you know, we spoke about preventative holiday season, is there any value in mums super vitaminizing the little ones or whoever's going to be going into water? Um, I think what would probably help are probiotics. Um, those are probably the only thing that you could take as, you know, prophylactic. But other than that, there's not much that you can actually do to prevent this type of thing. All right. I'm glad we've answered that because, again, just like with the antimicrobial hand washes and, and all of these things, patients often at, at pharmacies, etc., get even, I mean, we see the type of vitamins, the over, you know, servicing of vitamins and multiple brand names with the same thing inside and, and told, use this immune booster and that immune booster. And so just, you know, sometimes often leading to honestly a waste of money. Uh, so it's important that, you know, you've, you've mentioned that really um, simple things, no need to overdose, uh, good hygiene, and of course maybe one general good vitamin. But inshallah, we take a short, uh, uh, short break for the uh, Isha Azan, and when we come back, We'll go into a bit more depth about 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 the diseases you mentioned. But you've just joined us. You're listening to Radio Islam International. This is Medical File brought to you by the Islamic Medical Association of South Africa. I'm Dr. Faisal Suleiman from the IMA, and with me is Professor Hafiza Chinya, specialist microbiologist at um, UKZN. We are talking waterborne diseases. Uh, Professor Chinya, are you back with us? Yes, I am. Yeah, good. So, uh, now to, I suppose, what probably bothers uh, patients the most and, and uh, holidaymakers uh, in particular, and that will be um, waterborne diseases. You've mentioned uh, Balhartia, you've mentioned typhoid, dysentery, um, E. coli is the topical word for people in KwaZulu-Natal at the moment, um, and I'm sure of concern to, to how Tengas will generally come to the coast this time of the year. Uh, you, of course, before the break mentioned the importance of obviously your personal immunity levels and health, but also it's about the count. People learned all about uh, viral load, etc., during COVID, and the same principles apply uh, to to what you ingest. How much, how concentrated were the bugs of whatever kind of uh, protozoa, bacteria, uh, etc., there is in it. What 
Um, and you we mentioned earlier that um, for, for them it's not easy to get the information, so you literally have to be very vigilant. Um, most importantly, maybe we can now just talk about how the disease uh, progresses. You mentioned just before the break that generally if you have ingested, uh, just to summarize, enough of the bugs, if you've ingested a little bit in your body, because Allah SWT has made our or stomachs with uh, lots of uh, gastric acid and, and that pH is in itself very often enough to, to kill bugs. Um, but if you've ingested enough of it to then make you sick, um, we can now maybe start to talk about, you know, the, then generally the progression of the news. You mentioned diarrhea. Perhaps maybe if you can maybe just expand on that for our listeners. For the average sort of, um, whether it's E. coli, uh, salmonella or something of that sort. Okay, so uh, we we always, people probably have heard about fecal oral transmission and essentially what it's saying is where you're taking in, you know, either it's food or water that has, you know, contamination with feces and you're ingesting it in your food or your water and then these microorganisms um, enter into your your gastric um, or your gastrointestinal tract and from there, they can either go into your blood vessels or they can go further down into the gastrointestinal tract towards the small and the large intestine, which is where they start their problematic behavior. And um, so you can get watery diarrhea depending on the type of organism you have. So typically things like Shigella. Um, if you've had things like Salmonella or you've had um, the special types of E. coli, the nasty E. coli, um, the E. coli 15787, then you can end up with a bloody diarrhea. Even with cholera, uh, which is caused by vibrio cholera, you can end up with a bloody type of diarrhea. So in your feces, you would be passing blood. Um, you typically would get very dehydrated. Um, so, you know, people who are having these symptoms to, would need to hydrate a lot. If they don't, they would probably end up being hospitalized and needing a drip. Um, very often the people would have fever, a low-grade fever. Um, in children, it can be very problematic, so you need to do cold washes for them to try and keep the temperature down. Um, and in some cases, you might get vomiting. Um, but yeah, it would depend on which specific organism is actually the one that is causing the infection in your specific case. Um, these are generally acute infections, so they will resolve after a few days. You might be very uncomfortable. You might feel really bad. Um, but generally, you don't have to take antibiotics unless you've had the unfortunate um, sort of luck to have picked up a resistant bacterium that is really nasty. And then if you're still not recovering after a few days, go to a GP um, they might need to run some tests so that they can give you the right antibiotics, depend, well, if it's a bacterial infection. If it's a viral infection, you typically don't need any uh, medication. It will dissolve after a few days. And protozoal infections, they'll have to give you special protozoal drugs. Um, would it be correct for the, for the public to say that in the initial phase, the symptoms for all three could be quite similar, so very hard to tell unless you've either tested the stool or done, done, done some 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 uh, blood tests, whether 
it's a virus, whether it's a bacteria or even a protozoa in that initial part when you are either at your holiday resort or at home with the subset stomach, nausea, vomiting, fever, just constitutionally not feeling good. Yeah, it, it's very difficult to say, oh, I have a bacterial infection or I have, you know, a viral or a protein. It's very difficult to say that. You have to have lab tests that will tell you exactly what the problem is. Um, what they need to do is, if you're feeling, you know, malaise, if you're feeling tired, um, you've got the vomiting, you've got the diarrhea, you need to rest. Stay out of the sun, drink lots of water, you know, just keep hydrating and yeah, there's nothing else that you can actually do. Um, these days, natural remedies are very topical and, and in, in, in vogue. Are there specific, you know, you mentioned uh, the, the, the sort of uh, symptomatic treatment one would take and I think many of our listeners would be familiar with the sort of anti-diarrheals, medicines of cramp and even anti-hematics but are there, as far as you know, um, any natural remedies or particular uh, fruits or juices that would be more advantageous than others? Um, I think so things like yogurts, which have not been pasteurized. Um, so they generally have live cultures. Um, those are good to just reestablish the flora of your gastrointestinal tract. So to put in some good bacteria there so that... Uh, the bad bacteria now start getting some competition and they can't just, you know, uh, establish themselves as main guys there. Um, so having things like yogurts and stuff like that would be good for you. Um, you know, anything that has been fermented generally would have a good uh, amount of these good bacteria. So you don't have to go and take a probiotic tablet. Um, you could you could have these fermented foods, so that could be useful. But everything in moderation, because uh, too much of something can also be bad for you. Um, in terms of natural remedies, I think people. I mean, there's without a doubt that you know uh, these medicinal plants and stuff, uh, the elixirs and the tinctures and stuff that are available in the shops um, can be useful. But again. Don't overdose on them and be very careful in how you use them. Um, there was a study now which was talking about how people are actually overdosing on turmeric, um, which we all know has very good healing properties, but too much of it can also be problematic to the body. So just be very careful in terms of what you're doing. All right. Um we mentioned, you know, generally you should, you should, you know, three, four days, you should start to see an improvement in symptoms. You're hydrating, you're taking your sort of symptomatic medication. You're now not getting better or you start to see a bit of blood. Uh, would that be then uh, a blood in the stool? Would that be a sort of uh, a red flag for you to say now you need to see your local family, family doctor? Definitely. Um, at that point, if you're not getting better after a few days, um, then you do need to go and see the doctor. And that might be uh, a reason for them to do lab tests. And then you might need to be prescribed with some kind of medication to, to help you. Okay. I'm, I'm only asking this question a little facetiously, but we also know that during COVID and other times people have been sold into all these very, very expensive immune drips. Is there any place 
in any of this for these really expensive vitamin and immune drips that seem to be in vogue at the moment? Well, not really. I think the estheticians are not going to be happy with me. Um, but essentially, our body needs vitamins and all these other things in very small amounts, micro amounts. That's why they call them micronutrients. Um, and uh, we can overdose our bodies with them so we can take large amounts of it, but the body will just eliminate it. So it's just basically money that you're wasting um, because it will be excreted by the body. In some instances, if you take too much of it, it can accumulate and can end up causing other kinds of problems, um, health problems. So you really do need to be careful. You don't need to take vitamins every day. I'm probably going to be, you know, murdered for <laughs> saying that on air. But you don't need to take them every day. You know, if you're taking them once a week, once a month, it's usually good enough. Unless you have some some problem where the doctors have told you that you have some deficiency, like iron deficiency or whatever, and there you need to to boost your uh, your levels. Yes, and those will normally be done after someone has checked whether it's your B12 or vitamin yes. D, which is now very common yeah. checked up. But no, I, I, the reason I ask it is because we see patients who are being sold or sold all of these things, and, and whether it's societal pressure or, you know, whatever, and and I think the point about about having experts on uh, who don't have a, a commercial or a financial interest is to be able to speak the truth. And then you know after that, patients uh, have been informed. And then if they still choose to do something, well, it's your money. But at least you've given them uh, really a, 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 an unbiased scientific view. And that's why I asked it because you know in family practice we see this way. People yeah. often even advice which is of more commercial benefit than medical benefit. But um, yes, yeah. it's, right. it's uh, also about peer pressure. I mean, in in a in a very different way, where people see on social media all these influencers saying, "I went for this shot and I went for that shot and I feel great and my skin is glowing and this and that," and so people buy into that without realizing that each of us has a very individual system. And what might work for one person is not necessarily true for each of us. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, think whether we've covered most most, most of what, what, what is important uh, in terms of, of waterborne diseases. And if there's anything else you'd, you'd like to, you know, maybe cover that I haven't asked. I know um, that people um, are worried about the quality of water in South Africa, drinking water. Um, I think to a great extent we are very fortunate in South Africa that we can drink our tap water. Um, I know in Durban, um, in the light of all the drama that has been happening, um, Professor Bucks from the Durban University of Technology, um, they have an institute for water and wastewater management, very recently tested drinking water um, from different places in Durban and they found that it complied with the SANUS 241 um, guidelines. So, um, and this is true probably for many places in, in South Africa. We, we're lucky that we don't have to drink bottled water. That's a whole other scam <laughs> that people have bought into. Um, so I think, yeah, we can drink our, our tap water. Um, generally, the companies that are responsible for it are complying with the international guidelines in ensuring that 
um, the water is safe and, you know, it, it has very, very little to no uh, pathogens that are being released in there. I think the, the, the people wanting to come to KwaZulu-Natal and in Durban in particular, sort of from Shlanga, Durban area, would be relieved to know that the water uh, from the tap is safe to drink. You don't have to be buying bottled water. But let's go to the elephant in the room for us, and that is the sea at the moment. Uh, lots of conflicting reports. Uh, some say our eco levels uh, are not that high, um, and others in some, some beaches saying, uh, it is. And firstly, let's, let's maybe just, because patients ask that, let's first get, uh, does it matter whether it's uh, salt water or fresh water in terms of how, you know, the sustainability of the bug or the, or the, or the pathogenicity of the bug? Okay. So the first thing that I want to tell listeners is that I know people are scared of E. coli, but E. coli is just used as an indicator of fecal contamination, the pathogens that we have to worry about, the things like salmonella and shigella and vibrio cholera and stuff like that. Um, if we take E. coli, um, E. coli is a huge family of these bacteria. And just like in human families, you have good family members and you have the ones that are really nasty and you want to avoid. So we have E. coli's like that. So remember, E. coli lives in our body as part of our gastrointestinal tract. It helps us to be healthy, makes vitamin K, keeps us in a good nutritional state. Um, and these are the ones, the E. coli's, that typically get released in our feces. Um, and then you do get some of these bad E. coli, like the 015787, and there's a whole, like about six or seven different types of E. coli's that are problematic from a disease point of view. So when they do these E. coli counts, the E. coli counts do not tell us which ones are the bad ones and which ones are the good ones. They just tell us about the total number of E. coli in a sample that has been tested. Um, so sometimes the numbers might be very high, but it might not mean that the pathogenicity or the disease-causing ability is high. Um, it would depend on who was excreting feces and whether or not um, they were highly infected with some of these bad guys. So I know that people are scared, and it's always good to have these E. coli counts because they do tell us about the state of whether it's the river or the sea. Um, and if we know that the counts are very high, then we know that the risk tends to be high, so we should avoid it until the counts come down. Um, so I think if you know that in a specific area the counts are very high, don't go into the water. That's just on the side of caution. And go into a swimming pool, enjoy your day out, you know, in a swimming pool that is chlorinated. And, you know, unfortunately... The beach is not, not all beaches, but some parts of the Durban uh, waterfront are not suitable for, for swimming because the counts are over 500. And um, it might not be a good idea to actually go in there. All right. And what about walking on the sand? So we, so someone's out here in a very popular resort up here in Langa, popular with uh, people from the, from the inland. Uh, they're using the swimming pool but children want to go play on the sand. Um, will that be safe? Yeah, if you're playing uh, further up where the water is not washing in, 
um, the sand would be fine. Uh, way it's dry, um, and the, the tide hasn't come in, that should be okay. But uh, personally, I would advise people to go either north or south. Um, there are a number of blue flag beaches that have been identified both in the north and south, so those might be better options for bathing, do a day trip, um, and enjoy that rather than going into areas where you know there's problems. Amshlanga is highly problematic. I think it got closed again today. I'm not sure, but yeah, um, I would just be very careful. All right. So, so you can you can live out there in those resorts that are popular, but use the pools, use everything else, just to if you want to go into the water further up Umishlauti, Balito would be much safer. Yeah, um, up towards Skanga, Blythdale, Willard Beach, um, those, uh, I, I read somewhere that they have blue flag status, so those might be useful. All right, so Umslanga at the moment is blue flag status and the others have blue flag status. Okay, so that would, that, you know, so I, I think a lot of people, you know, will find that uh, quite useful um, as the county in itself being an indicator, but not necessarily, as you said, you don't know, which ones, where the bugs are, particularly uh, pathogenic ones. Um, but uh, on the side of caution, uh, you, you can still come out to Kazuno Natal, you can drink the water, you can use the pools just in certain places uh, in the Durban area. Be careful where you're going to um, the sea. Um, yes. I, I think also it's very important to remember that um, the counts are snapshots of what is happening in a 24-hour period. So they would take a sample. It takes 24 hours before you can get that result. You know, the, the data is changing all the time. Um, from what I read, uh, I believe that the city has promised to do daily testing. So that might actually be very useful. So hopefully, if they're resolving the infrastructure issues that are leading to it, we could see by the time we reach the actual festive season that the counts might be lower. Also, with higher temperatures, we might get rid of some of these because, like I said, you get solar disinfection. Um, many of these pathogens don't do so well in seawater because of the high salinity, um, but it just depends who's coming in there um, and, and what the conditions are. So climate change can be a bit of a problem. All right. And uh, in terms of specifically whether it's, it's holiday makers inland or um, at the coast, uh, are, are there, um, you know, is there any just maybe general common sense advice? You've mentioned prevention, you've mentioned, you know, uh, good hygiene, even coming out wherever you are, even in the pool at the, at the resort, wherever it may be, still a very good idea to really have a really vigorous normal soap and water wash down. Um, Good, good hygiene, good uh, nutrition, um, just generally be healthy, lay off so much of the sugars. Um, is, are there any, you know, is there anything else that, you know, in, in terms, I mean, I, I, we don't want to get, I don't want to get too technical in terms of, of medical management because I think once you reach a stage where you need uh, medical intervention, then, you know, you leave it up to, up to the doctors. But after that part, you know, just so that we, we get parents, our whole idea is not to get parents to panic, we have a basic understanding of what to do or, or what not to do um, and, and just generally um, understand, as you mentioned, if you do get this two, three days generally of fearing horrible, but it should pass, 
hydration, etc., are the key to it, and obviously symptomatic treatment of cramps and nausea and, and, and vomiting, um, etc. Is there anything particular that we've missed that you, you know, in the final minute or so that you'd like to cover? Look, uh, you know, generally kids and the elderly tend to be more susceptible to infections um, by virtue of the immunity. Um, so, so you do need to be careful with them. Um, know your immune status. If you know that you have health problems, don't put yourself at risk. Um, if you're a smoker, if you have underlying conditions like diabetes or liver disease or whatever, you know, be careful. It's, it's very important. Whether you're inland or at the sea, you do need to be careful because, you know, rivers, uh, dams, all of that, even if you're going to some rural area, you don't know about what is coming into that water from animals, from farms, and so on. So you just do need to be careful um, and check the water. Um, of course, in the rural areas, um, Bulhazia is, is a big issue, so just be careful about that. Right, oh, that's wonderful. I think um, we've covered and hopefully allayed some fears uh, from people who've been scared to come up to KwaZulu Natal. Um, it's still, you know, a good place to come in. I know the city depends on on the visitors and the tourism. Uh, we are in a high unemployment sort of uh, circumstance, and any any help the city gets helps uh, employment helps keep crime down, keep people. Food uh, bellies uh, relatively full, uh, so that that you know that is important. Uh, particularly in KwaZulu Natal, relies on on the support of people from Gauteng and everywhere else uh, during this period. And of course, it's, it's also a nice break to have. Um, but I, I think we've more or less covered everything. Uh, Professor Chinya, I'd like to thank you on behalf of the IMA uh, for joining us this evening and giving up your time for all of the three shows you've done uh, for us on the on the different uh, stations. And inshallah, uh, perhaps one day we can talk a bit more about antibiotic stewardship. Um, and and, and uh, because we've mentioned the pressure that patients feel or put doctors under pressure also. I mean, of course, it's yes. experience to have antibiotics. I know. I Yeah, and, and I think it's important because as you mentioned, you know, we're reaching a stage where you're running out of, 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 of medication to treat superbugs and, and someone can go in for an innocuous thing into hospital, pick up the superbug, and and uh, I think that we know what the consequences of that are. Severe mor- mor- morbidity, uh, extreme cost, and of course long-term consequences if not mortality, and all from from you know having gone in for a minor procedure but picked up a bug somewhere in a hospital. So it is an important uh, subject with, with, with serious consequences. But another time, Jazakallah uh, again for joining us. And, and uh, we wish our, especially our Indian visitors, we, we hope to see you in Kwadun and Zital, inshallah. I'm Dr. Faisal Silman from the IMA. And Jazakallah uh, uh, to Radio Islam International as well. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.